You're listening to The Nosebag, a podcast about all things Nor'wester, past, present, and future. In each episode, we snack on some history tidbits, share laughs with a guest, and see what other food for thought the Packout Crate has for us. I'm Andy Burhow. And I'm Allie Burhow. Let's dig in. All right, Allie, what's in today's nosebag? Well... In today's nose bag, we're going to be talking about stewardship. Stewardship. That, I think, is a really excellent topic. Yeah, we're going to be discussing what it means to occupy space and and how to take care of it. Well, I, I have been thinking about this topic a little bit, surprisingly, and I, I, I was comparing it to like whenever you come to a new space and you look around, you kind of can see how it was cared for. Mm-hmm. You know, how did the people, I mean, certainly I've spent a lot of time backpacking, hiking, you know, out, going to parks, you know, various walking trails, doing things, and, and maybe the the care sometimes is taken for granted because when you see the evidence of when someone doesn't respect mm-hmm. the space. Yeah, it's more obvious. It, it's easy to take for granted care. And and if, if the land has been taken care of responsibly, it is easy to overlook. Like you show up to the Grand Tetons or Yellowstone, and you're like, wow, it's pristine, it's beautiful, it's amazing, cool. And you maybe take some pictures and move on, but, I mean, it doesn't doesn't take into account the care and the preservation and the love for maintaining natural beauty and, and... the land that we occupy and, and being really conscientious of the effect that you personally have or your group or your community has on a piece of property or just the world in general. And I think it's definitely something that as a camp has, has been part of our philosophy from the start. Yeah, I mean, I, I know when I was a scout as a, as a young kid that, you know, when you went into a, a site to camp, you know, the idea was that you would leave it the same, the way you found it. If not or better. If not better, if, if, if someone had been there before and had left it, you know, with garbage or, I mean, you think of those kind of obvious things. I think we've all been to a campsite and there's garbage or stuff in the fire pit. You're like, oh. Yeah, this and, stinks. And sometimes, of course, there's growth that happens. Like mm-hmm. you, you know, there's the woods you played in as a kid, and you go back, and it's a parking lot or yeah. a development, or and and that's, I guess, comes with the territory. But there are certain places that you also always want to think about that it'll always you you want it to always stay that way. Mm-hmm. You know, that it'll always, you hope that it'll always be 
there for you. And I'm I think thinking of specifically uh, Sunset Falls. Like that's a place that your older siblings took you, and then you in turn took Jack and I, and it, it's more or less the same, right? Or is it different? Well, I can actually tell you a story on that. Oh. Which in between going there is in, mm-hmm. you know, middle school, high school, and taking you guys there one it's time. a swimming hole and I, waterfall. Right. And Just to clarify for listeners. Right on the edge of the Gifford Pinchot National Forest. I took a friend. And I was just talking about how beautiful it was and how much fun and how cool it was going to be. And I was really excited to show her what it looked like. And we got there and someone had graffitied the rocks all around. And I was just like, oh. This is horrible. And consequently, I think it can be turned around. It, it can be. I mean, because yeah. obviously it's not there. It was clean. No, it's been cleaned off. There's a... Um, there were fields across from where I went to high school that were just lettuce fields or something and a and a ditch that was pretty nasty that was a burnt bridge creek and when you go there now they've removed all the invasive plants they've it's beautiful now replanted it and done that so sometimes you can look at something and say wow it was really hideous and now it's been restored so mm-hmm. you know there's that that element and i think the role that that camps can play in teaching, because I wonder sometimes if people that haven't spent time, especially kind of a love of nature and the outdoors and, and, and the natural environment, if you haven't spent time in it, if you haven't been there and been around it, you may not have the same appreciation when someone says, oh, this needs to be conserved or we need this to save this mm-hmm. for. And, and I think Spending your summers in the wo- out, outdoors and, and out there can, can do that really well. And certainly, I think when you're growing up, depending on the household you grew up, sometimes you don't really think about where's your garbage go? Where does the water come from? You know, yeah. you just sort of take it for granted. Well, this is um, going to embarrass myself for a second. I only recently found out that you have to pay for someone to come take your garbage. Yes. I thought they just did that as like a part of, you know, you live in the city, they take your garbage. <laughs> that is false. And that is just, yeah. Adulting 101, you have to pay for your garbage to be taken away. And one of the things that I, when I came to Norwester that I really kind of appreciated is that everybody kind of had to deal with their garbage. Mm-hmm. You had to deal with, you had to think about water on Sperry. The water came from a lake and it had to be purified and cleaned and there was a limit to how mm-hmm. much water. So you had to be careful about how much water you could uh, conserve. You know, originally there were two cans. There was a burn and a non-burn, you know, but we would incinerate the garbage that could be burned and would haul away. And then we would expand those programs into recycling. And, and when campers come back, from mm-hmm. an overnight, you know, they're separating their garbage. It's not necessarily a pleasant job, but I think that awareness of seeing, I think it's it's so important when you can see um, 
that there's cardboard stacking up that's going to be recycled, that you know, you're trying to minimize how much garbage, that you're seeing a chart that says how much water you're using and mm-hmm. being aware that places like, especially in the San Juans where w- water is a scarcity and you need to be very careful about yeah. the use. And I think also, especially on John's, which is a non-ferry served island and is only accessible by personal boat, um, you have to be really aware of and and sensitive to your output in terms of waste and garbage and all of that. So I think we've kind of developed a really sleek system of separating garbage into compost, landfill, recycle, um, aluminum. Like we really, there are, I mean, if you've been to the John's property, Behind the lodge, there are uh, six bins. There's a can for batteries. There's um, the compost is in the kitchen. There's recycling, landfill, burn. So it, it part of being a community member on John's is being responsible where your waste is going. Absolutely. And, and just beyond that, just that idea that you're not the first one here and you're not going to be the last no. and what that's going to be like. And I think the found, you know, Frank Henderson, who, who when he founded the camp and, and came out of the, the scouting tradition, uh, really believed in that idea of stewardship and, and how you treat a space and leave a space. And, uh, also, he was a um, he was also a believer in just the stories of the people that had been there. It's not mm-hmm. sometimes when you think about stewardship, it's not just the land, but also who was there. You know, mm-hmm. what evidence of of the past? And uh, you hear stories of people that that on the Westcott Bay property who could visit with someone who had been, you know, the uh, was the daughter of a, a British Marine who, who after the, you know, border was settled, stayed on, and, mm-hmm. and then the kids would walk over there because it's right next to the National Park, mm-hmm. uh, the British camp, and hear stories of what it was like in in her time. Mm-hmm. Um, on Sperry, I, I heard Lyle talk about, they would, uh, Summers would talk about going over and visiting with a man who had been, come to the, the Sperry property, and done, uh, it, was a, it was kind of a commune, kind of a utopian society. They were called the Come Outers. And they would, one of them still lived across mm-hmm. the bay and they would row over there or go visit there. Yeah. And, and, you know, he lived very simply and, and would tell stories. So that, that idea of being aware, and certainly in the, in the native cultural tradition, uh, I was going through an interview that I had recorded with Margot Sproul. Margot came uh, to the Westcott Bay property I think in like 1940 with her dad, mm-hmm. who was the first, was a, the music director. And a lot of what we think about camp songs were things that he had kind of really put together, the first camp songbook. And she was the first girl camper. She was there, you know, when it was still an all boys camp, mm-hmm. but was there. And then when they started having girls there. And in that interview, one of the last things, as she was thinking about it, she reflected on the importance of kind of understanding the the land's stories and the people that had gone before. So I want to play that little clip that I got from her. 
Um, you know, Bill Home being brought here to, let's say, expand um, the Native American influence. But I don't know whether Frank and Lucille felt that this might be kind of a sacred ground area, which I think it very much is. Um, and I am sure this was a wonderful home, mainly Lummies on this, and I'm sure this was one of their, their camp areas. But uh, the sense that I picked up of, even though we're not <clears throat> physically descendant from uh, the people that lived here, somehow I, I picked that up even as a young person, and I've been fascinated with it since, and uh, love the interaction between the former people that lived here and us. And I got all that sensitivity, I think, from here. So uh, I just think that idea of being aware of the people that had been there before, if it sounded kind of noisy, I actually recorded that interview on the Westcott Bay property. <laughs> we, we went over there and, and walked around and, and, uh, and Margot joined us and sat down for an interview afterwards. Nice. So. Um, I was just thinking about um, in a previous episode um, when we interviewed Martha Campbell, um, we talked about we're both reading the same book, which is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And um, one of the chapters that I just read is kind of talks about like harvesting plants and, and whatnot. But um, one of the lessons that lessons that she learned um, from the elders in, in her community is that if you are responsible and treat the land or or the plant or whatever it is, if you treat it with um, kindness and respect and you care for it, then it will be there for you. But if you don't, if you're if you ignore it or you don't, there's there isn't any reciprocation there, then it will go away. And of course, I'm paraphrasing here. She says it much more eloquently. But that kind of idea of if you are respectful and you care and you there's a reciprocity between you and the land, then it will be there for you and it will continue to be. But if you ignore it or mistreat it, it will go away. I th I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to read that book. You've, I've sold you on it you've now. you sold me. So who are we uh, going to be talking to today? So today we're going to be talking to Rick Winnings, who is um, currently the facilities director at Camp Norwester, and he's been there as long as I can remember. Um, I think he has worked there for um, 18, this year would have been his 18th summer. Well, I think it um, still is. He's still working uh, there. He's still working <laughs> there. It would have been his 18th uh, regular session summer this year. Um it's a new kind of summer for him, but um, we're going to talk to him and find out, you know, what's what's it like to live there year-round and be a steward of that particular land 110% of the time. 
All right. Well, yeah. let's get let's give them a call. Welcome, Rick. Thank you for joining us on the Nosebag. Excellent. Yeah, man. I am so happy to be involved in this. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we're so pleased that you are taking the time to chat with us. Um, We always kind of start each interview um, by asking how you came to camp and where you heard about it and kind of a, a brief history. Yeah, yeah. So back in um, 2002 is when I started. And at the time, I was living back home in Pennsylvania, um, trying to get back out west. And we had a mutual friend that I worked with in the past um, who lives out here, reached out to me about a camp that needed a ropes course director. And so I then, of course, reached out because that was one of the only job opportunities I could find and reached out to reached out to Paul, previous director, and had a great conversation with him and became the ropes course director for 2002. And as I kind of finished up that summer, I was, of course, needing a next job and loved the program, loved the, the community of people that was Norwester or is Norwester. And... Um, basically you know reached out to paul again saying hey do you ever f- hire full-time or and uh yeah he said their position opened up for assistant caretaker and so worked assistant caretaker uh for a year lived on property full-time in the old health center um which was kind of an interesting experience in itself you know being an old building from lopez not insulated or whatnot but uh it was an adventure and i was ready for it and after that 2003 uh, summer, I moved on, uh, left the assistant caretaker position uh, to do other things and decided, um, actually got the phone call first uh, from Paul in 2005 in January that a position has opened up for caretaker and if I was interested. And of course, I was again ready for the next stage of my life and said, yes, yes, I'll be there in a week. (laughs) And, And here we are. 2020, uh, still in the position. Um, my title has changed to facilities director, but but basically, yeah. I said I, I would give myself five years when I first started, and that was a while ago. So, and I'm still loving it. <laughs> so, were you ropes course for just one summer, or did you do more than one summer as the ropes course director? I just did one summer of ropes course because uh, then I, I fell into maintenance after that, and I liked the behind the scenes and um, I still kind of kept involved with the ropes course in the shoulder seasons. When we had some school groups coming out, I would facilitate some um, challenge course programming with them because I still had some certifications with challenge course and facilitation. And so I did that for a number of years um, as well as being uh, the caretaker. And then after those programs kind of fell away, um, so did my certs and everything, but still love that program you know I still feel kind of it because it was the first year uh for the ropes course was my first year um, at camp so it's kind of cool to have that fresh yeah you were there kind of camp was really just getting built at that time that when you first came yeah yeah there were 
uh, still the Green Army tent, that where I guess started as the lodge uh, dining area, turned into the craft shop for many years. Um, and, you know, the Adobe oven, outdoor cooking oven was in a different location. And yeah, over the years, we've slowly um, grew our infrastructure, and uh, which has been really exciting to see where we've where we've been and you know what we're looking at for the future too and being a part of it all that time too to see the different stages of transition so beyond keeping everything working as the facilities director um what is the most important part of your job in your opinion uh great question um i think the most important thing for me is to just to be um, maintaining the integrity of everything at camp, you know, in terms of our systems and our utilities uh, to create a, a safe space for everyone to utilize and enjoy, um, which includes a lot of fixing things, but overall, you know, just the, the preventative maintenance of, you know, our power and our water system um, and keeping that all uh, running smoothly and safely, um, I think is the most important thing. Um, as well as uh, looking, monitoring the property and making sure that, you know, er areas are safe, uh, especially TP sites and, and program sites. So I think for me, this is the safety aspect of everything, because um, it all comes down to that, really. You know, if you don't have a safe space, um, you can't really create a, an, an excellent program like we do. Well, I know, you know, most people who spend their summers there feel pretty connected to the land, but, you know, you've lived year-round there. I, I think you mentioned uh, when we were talking before we, when we were setting this up, that 10 years that you lived year-round on the property? Yeah, it was 10, 10 years on property in uh, what most people call Nell's old house, <laughs> which what it was, uh, um, down on the point near the boat ramp. Um, yeah. What's that like, you know, living year-round on this piece of land? Oh, it was amazing. Um, coming here, I had spent very little time in the islands before uh, coming to work for camp that one summer, that first summer. Um, but when I came here and lit, uh, started living here on site, um, it was pretty amazing. I was at a time in my life where uh, I could really just dive into it. Um, I didn't need a lot of social interaction um, because in the wintertime, especially, you didn't get a lot of that being I was the only one um, living on property and working um, full time on the property, so just you got to just really absorb everything. You know, it takes a lot, a lot of walks around, especially uh, in the early days. I do a lot of beachcombing and just kind of getting uh, the lay of the land um, and going off trail and just kind of bushwhacking around and and discovering all the little nooks and crannies. Um, but it's beautiful in the off season. You know, nature really has takes hold of of the property and you know the grass is green and lush and the animals are everywhere and uh, with no real hazards of, of human interaction and um and just that you know taking in that solitude um in the wintertime it can be trying at times with the wind storms that we get you know and physically uh being stuck here uh, because the water is too dangerous but if you get past all that um it definitely makes living here worth it you know when you get the views like where i'm sitting right now on the north side at chapel rock and and you just kind of you feel blessed that you know what you can do you know where you are and i'm, I'm getting paid to work out here <laughs> can you just describe for us your view right now what you're looking at yeah so i'm looking up 
um, up the channel here, I got Saturna, which is a Canadian island off to my left uh, with Pender and South Pender. Um, and then looking over, um, I have a great view of Mount Baker right now and Orcas and Waldron Islands. Um, and the water is, I want to say flat calm, but it's just a beautiful day of calm water, um, blue and skies have very little clouds. So it's just very picturesque. Well, as you know, our topic for this episode is about stewardship. And I was wondering if you could maybe uh, describe for us, because when I think of the stewardship of, of camp, I think the directors and the facility director really are sort of those point people. Could you maybe describe for me what you, how you define or how you see stewardship? In yeah, terms of your yeah. role? Yeah, so for me, um, the way I look at stewardship here at camp and on Don's Island is that, you know, the, the way that we maintain this property um, and care for this property um, so it lasts for forever in terms of the use that we would like it to do um, and for future gener keeping on their traditions and for the future generations. Um, and that goes into a lot of different categories of, um, you know, maintaining the property uh, in terms of our forest management and um, the grounds and making sure that our impact um, is very is very light and maintaining the, the ecosystems that are here and not creating uh, an impact to those um, in a detrimental way. Um, and for me, a big, big part of stewardship, um, not just the actions that we take, but also the education um, that we provide uh, to our staff and to our campers. Um, I think that is uh, a very important piece of stewardship is, is, is the educational piece. Um, because that enables people to um, continue those traditions um, and and the habits that we help maybe create um, and they didn't know they had. Um, and then they can take those on and move them into different parts of their lives outside of camp. So going along with what you just so eloquently said, um, what lessons in terms of stewardship do you hope that every camper and staff take home with them, um, kind of connecting back to the camp philosophy? Basically, I think the, one of the biggest ones for me is that people realize that the impact that they do have on the earth um, and on this property, um, if you want to shrink it down, uh, but just opening their eyes to what they, what they do to the earth and, and creating habits. Uh, that's kind of part two is um, helping create habits that you know minimize those impacts or um, changes those impacts to a greater good. Um, so I think those are probably the two. And you know, in terms of those habits, you know, we get into water conservation, um, uh, leave no trace, which goes through our um, into our programming a lot, and also just the way that we live in as a community on at camp. Uh, one of the coolest things I think. Uh, at this camp, especially, um, is that in the off season, we were able to pretty much turn John's back into a nice, you know, parkland setting. Um, and we were able to pack things away and allow the island to kind of breathe 
and to kind of regain um, its structure with like with green grass and 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 things like that and you know the animals um, can come out and come back on the property without a lot of the noises and distractions of, of campers and whatnot um, so I really love that you know we can have this great summer of program and then um, after it's over we're able to just pack it up and and have kind of a clean slate for the next year. Yeah, so many camps get used year-round that they never really get that, maybe in the dead right. of winter, but get that opportunity to, to breathe. I think that's a nice way of putting it. And I think also the way camp does their unit system, um, the ability to pretty much, like you said, pack it all up. And, and the, while the unit sites are still there, they're completely empty of structure during the off season, which is really cool. Yeah. Like if you walk around right now, um, unless you really knew the property, uh, you would be wondering what it is, you know, what's, what goes on here, you know? Mm-hmm. And as you move more into the, the core of camp where there are facilities are, you know, you probably can tell, Oh, there must be something going on with kids or something, but on the outskirts and in, in the woods and in the open spaces, it's, it's just, you know, this green lush, um, areas uh, right now, which is kind of cool, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, hmm, there would be teepees up right now. Yeah, yeah, very sad. You know, it's, it's been one of those things that's been, um, you know, takes some time to wrap my head around it because, you know, thinking about the, my systems of how I've operated over the last, you know, decade or more, uh, is pretty pretty routine and now it's all different you know with with uh, just two of us on property now doing projects and the pace is different the the feel is different um yeah so let me ask you this what keeps you up nights worrying in terms of the property that's a that's a great question and i was talking a little bit last night with my wife Kathy um, uh, regarding that and she was looking thinking back into the early days um, and they've definitely morphed over the years Uh, the early days of my position uh, I worried a lot about you know running out of water you know and um, our is our water system you know plentiful enough to sustain camp you know and um, over the years I've kind of have a routine of how we pump water into our storage tank that at this point in time water is in terms of running out um, per se is not as big an issue Uh, water conservation is of course always you know at the forefront but in terms of we have a buffer of of our water supply that we can you know if if something drastically happens in our system we 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 will have a buffer to a point of course Um, the other one, and so the early on, that kept me up a lot. Um, the other one that is still holding pretty strong um, is in the summertime of fire danger and fire on our property. I think uh, that one really holds true, especially in the, when it gets super dry. And um, as some might know, we do fire bans at some point in the summer where we can't have any fires whatsoever, uh, no beach fires, no campfires in the units um, or at the campfire stage uh, because of the danger and how dry it gets out here. Um, so that one is still 
still pretty strong. Um, and then overall, you know, just the, the safety of everybody here, you know, we are in a wooded setting and, you know, there are inherent risks um, to being any, in, in any kind of setting like this. So in terms of trees and things like that, um, it's always in the back of my mind and we take a lot of care as part of our stewardship, stewardship plan is, you know, to, to monitor a lot of that. So um, some of that fear is, uh, or that, um, not fear, but uh, that strain is mitigated by our practices, but still in, in the back of my mind a lot. I know the sound when I've heard a tree just break on a calm day for seemingly no reason at all. It's a it's a terrifying sound. It's hard to imagine yeah. being underneath it. I mean, yeah, you know, over you know, I think with our practices, um, you know, we've helped mitigate a lot of those dangers. But again, you know, it's, we are in a wooded setting. Trees, like you said, you know, for no reason that is seen by us you know things can happen but we we take we do all we can to help rid those dangers or not uh, or make them smaller well and, and your wife is is well educated in terms of forestry practices isn't you can correct me on on what that is but i know doesn't when doesn't she often come over and help you kind of going through and ch- checking the health of the forest and yeah yeah so she um She's not a forester by any means, but uh, in her previous job with the National Park Service, uh, she she did a lot of hazard tree assessment, and so she was able to bring that knowledge um, to camp and help us create a monitoring plan um, and hazard tree assessment um, for pretty much the whole property in regards to unit sites and facility sites, um, sites where they consider it. Uh, high target area um, like buildings and human beings and so she has gone through and cataloged pretty much all the major large trees um, that could potentially have issues and um, if you're at camp you might see some some trees with tags on them and that's part of our cataloging system and so we we monitor um, the health of those trees as well as all the trees um, and then take actions as needed if that means taking the whole tree down or uh, leaving part of it um, as a snag uh, for bugs and birds to to utilize um, that we take that all that into account what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job you've been doing it for 15 however many years Um, what what keeps you going in the same job and what what is really rewarding for you? Yeah, it's going to be. This would have been my 18th summer, and I believe it's you know 15 years full time uh, overall, which is amazing to think about <laughs> in terms of where I started and now. But what keeps me going? Um, there are several several things. One part of it is the community of people, um, old and new. You know, and you know new people I haven't even met yet, but just that. Just the, the sense of community that is created here on John's and then just and the um, how what's the word I'm trying to say how it stays throughout the generations. You know, we, we have so many campers that or staff members I should say that I've known since they were nine and they've come through camp 
all their years and then now their staff for many years and getting jackets, their, their five-year jacket and so on, and, and just seeing them grow. And um, I think for me, that's super rewarding to kind of be part of that growth for them. Um, and then also, like I said in the earlier segment, that, you know, I've been able to be here for a lot of the growth of camp at on John's Island um, and seeing how we've changed um, in, in good ways and and just being part of that, you know, me implementing, you know, certain things that haven't, you know, been done before or just styles that have created throughout camp uh, and little bits and pieces here and there um, that I just, you know, feel, you know, honored to be part of. So, you know, you mentioned people and, and when I, when we were originally kind of exploring this topic, I was really thinking of the land and the trees and the wildlife and, you know, that, and I didn't really think about the stewardship in terms of, of the people who have come before and the people who might be coming after. Uh, when you think about how this land, the people that have gone, you know, before with the, the First Nations peoples that have been there, and there's obviously evidence of, of their presence on the property. You know, do you, do you think sometimes in stewardship in terms of, of the people that have been before? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, especially in our planning, um, planning stages of development on the property um, and also uh, just the, the maintenance of the property that we have now. You know, looking back on the different sites, like you mentioned, there are sites on property that are, you know, been designated as culturally sensitive. And so we, we take a lot of care in maintaining those sites in terms of traffic um, and keeping them kind of fresh for everyone to see. And, and again, the educational piece of that, too, is, is also, you know, interpreting what those are um, and honoring them. And as well as um, in our development of new sites, you know, we take care in making sure that we're not impacting um, culturally sensitive sites that we're not aware of at the time. You know, so for instance, we have done, you know, archaeological digs at different um, const proposed construction sites to just to make sure that there are um, no artifacts to be found. And once we've been cleared, um, that we can proceed for, forward with that. Um, so it's always in, you know, in, in the back of my mind, at least, um, um, about just making sure that we can honor honor our past and and in terms of our future, you know, educating and maintaining those same practices and habits um, um, for the future generations. So you mentioned earlier some of the joys of being there off season. Um, do you have a favorite time of year on John's or maybe a favorite uh, off season? moment highlight you know any sort of anything that of that nature yeah gosh there's so many <laughs> how many how much time do we have uh no but i i was i was thinking about this a little bit last night you know and just kind of going back because that's truly truly are there's so many different really cool things that happened um one of my favorite to answer the first part of the question i think my favorite season um is the fall out here. Um, it's basically, you know, we're coming off a super hot summer, typically very dry. And um, the fall comes with cooler temperatures, a little crisper in the, in the air. 
uh, crisper feel in the air and and it, the rings come back and the, the property um, little green grass start to come back up little green leaves start to come up in the lawn everywhere and it just as I said before the island just can just breathe and come back and and for me it's like also a breath <laughs> you know from coming off a of camp and but the fall yeah the colors change um, that's always been probably one of my favorite seasons you know even growing up um, and probably one of my favorite activities of all was ice skating on the marsh which you know of course spells Nell and I'm trying to remember what letter we were on but Kathy and I uh, went ice skating on it one winter winter day this was back when I lived here full-time and uh, it was just cool I was like oh my god we're out here ice skating <laughs> on John's Island um, on a letter <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know and then to go along with that too is just when we get the big deep snowfalls um, it's pretty amazing so what's it been like getting to raise your children with kind of this park-like setting kind of at their, I mean, I know they're not there all the time, but what's that been like in, in terms of, of sharing this, your work in your space with your kids? Oh, it's, it's so magical, really. Um, it, you know, when we do get out here, they just open up in terms of their love for the outdoors. You know, they're pretty outdoorsy back home in Friday Harbor, um, but, you know, they're riding their bikes and, and, and digging in the dirt and playing with toys, you know, um, or in the sandbox. But out here, and you know, they kind of just dive into beachcombing and they never ask to go on any kind of electronic. And then, you know, and I'm, and I'm saying that very honestly, like they don't even blip about it um, out here. And so they just kind of release and, and we're all, we feel pretty safe and confident that the, you know, they're not going to be in much harm out here. Um, and so we allow them to just really open up, be a little bit free um, with some, with some supervision, of course, but um, they, it's just a cool place to go, you know, especially in the off season when it's, and it's quieter and they can just roam around with us on these big walks and, and just, and they're always got questions and, and hopefully I can answer them, you know, about nature or, um, about what they're looking at and, and all their surroundings. Um, it's pretty cool. In the early days, it was a little bit of a headache when they were babies, um, especially when I had our first daughter who we, we lived on property. Uh, it was a little nerve wracking, <laughs> you know, but, but now that we, you know, we can come here, we feel so privileged and fortunate to be able to come to John's um, and, and have that for them and as a place to go and, and just be away and, and be with each other. You know, they really come together as a brother and sister um, out here, which is pretty neat to watch. Okay, so when we're going to wrap up here, and what we do to kind of close out is we play a little game. And what we're going to do is just... Uh, Allie is going to ask you some questions, and you just have to give the first thing that comes to mind as your answer okay okay you ready yep okay what is your favorite spot on john's oh gary oak tree above big house what is your favorite camp meal hot dogs (laughs) 
That's what Jace said, too. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Yeah, we're meant to be. <laughs> um, what is the first camp song that you can think of? Well, it's one of my favorites, Chitlin Cooking Time. What is your favorite unit location? Troubadours. What's your favorite time of day at camp? Dusk. What is your go-to Trader Horn candy slash food? Oh, uh, I don't know if they still carry them, but it was always gummy bears. Okay, What's you your favorite activity to take your kids to when camp's in session? Uh, seven days. Well, Rick, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, giving us your time to visit with you. It's been enlightening. I learned some things I certainly didn't know. Of course. Well, thank you for the invite. I appreciate it. I love being part of it. Um, I wish you all can, we could all have done this sitting where I am right now. Me too. Yes, we're in a, <laughs> in a stuffy little room. We're in like a six by six cube of a room. Ugh. But the acoustics are great. Yes. I bet. <laughs> sound, sound great. Sound great. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was a blast. I, again, I appreciate the invite and, uh, sharing sharing uh, my thoughts okay i could talk to rick all day yeah we love rick so kind of wrapping up i think we really have to be i think we're at an age now where that idea of stewardship globally couldn't be more relevant more relevant um and I, I certainly hope that that the lessons that people are learning about leaving something for future generations and taking care of what you have and continuing to grow and educate will pay off because mm -hmm. you know, kind of back to your your book that you had mentioned before we interviewed with Rick. Unofficially sponsored by <laughs> Well, just that that I'm sorry, climate change is real and we need to take action. And I hope that that our campers are coming back with a much better sense of, oh, I have a really good idea of what my impact is, what my footprint mm -hmm. is on the world and on the people around me. You know, yeah. it, it is that combination of uh, recognizing and learning and from the people who have gone before you and, and really forward paying it forward and yeah. and leaving something good for the next group we mm -hmm. talk so much about camp being multi-generational and uh we're on an island you know yeah we need to uh continue to work very hard mm -hmm. to as a whole as a community as a country yeah as a world mm -hmm. uh, to make that better yeah and i think it just goes beyond beyond self, beyond community, beyond humans that I think really, I think Rick hit on this a couple of times, that it's really about 
not just us. It's about the wildlife. It's about, because we share this planet with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other species. And that includes animals, plants, everything in between. And just realizing that this is a shared space that is dying right now because of us. So I think if people can come away from this podcast, camp, anything, with that feeling of what can I do that will help. What's the term I use? We want to be value added. Value added. Yes, I wasn't sure what context you were talking. I know that was. A, you say I, a lot of things. <laughs> I do, but yeah, you know, we need to live our lives as value added. That that we bring more mm-hmm. to the table that benefits not just ourselves, yeah, but and everyone. Yeah, here we are at the end of our sixth episode, which um, is the the end of the camper program, the six week camper program for the summer of twenty twenty. Uh, I hope in, when you, if you've been listening, that you are thinking of your own stories, uh, and that maybe it's it's spurred some conversations mm-hmm. at home or with your friends. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe we'll be back in a week or two. <laughs> All right, but in the meantime, this nose bag is finished. Thanks, Allie. It's been fun doing this with you. It's been fun doing this with you, and. I will see you on the way home and then also at home because we live together. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate all of your support and we hope to be back sometime soon. All right. Goodbye.